This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello again, and welcome back for another episode of the Northern Agenda podcast, your award-winning weekly dose of politics, chats, and analysis from the North and about the North. I'm Rob Parsons, Northern Agenda editor for Reach PLC, which publishes the likes of the Manchester Evening News and Quayside Gazette, and I follow what's going on in Northern politics from the Town Hall to the Mayor's Office and even to Westminster sometimes. This week, with the political machinations in Tory Mayor Ben Houchin's Quayside patch, now involving key ministers like Michael Gove and even Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, I've been speaking to one of the region's Conservative MPs to find out what he makes of it. Matt Vickers is MP for Stockton South, and later in the podcast I ask him about the unexpected resurgence of the Conservatives in his borough, and of course that big teaseworks row that's been making all the headlines. But first, I thought I'd draw your attention to a story that we're leading on in this Friday's edition of the Northern Agenda newsletter, which is the extraordinary cost of sending the North's children to school by taxi. I've been submitting information requests to councils around our region, and it turns out that hard-up town halls in the North are spending an eye-watering £4.8 million every week on taxis to take children to and from school amid fears transport services for pupils are at breaking point. Across the region, nearly 33,000 pupils have taxis to school paid for by their local authorities who have a legal duty to help children who can't walk or use public transport to get there. I'm told the sky-high costs are in part caused by an increase in the number of children with special educational needs who need to go to a specialist school, often outside the local council's boundaries. And the town halls with the highest bills were those with large rural patches where public transport options are more limited than in big cities or towns, meaning the weekly spend on taxis is nearly half a million pounds in places like County Durham and North Yorkshire. So to give us a better idea of what's going on here, I'm delighted to be joined by Una Summerson, Head of Policy and Public Affairs at Contact, which is a national charity for families with disabled children. So Una, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be here, Rob. So I know school transport is one of the top issues your charity's helpline gets asked about. Um, the figures I've just mentioned, do they, does, does that surprise you how high they are? Well, at Contact, we know that um, councils are, do have very big budgets for school transport, but we're also 
know disabled children often can't go to school locally so they need um, school transport to be able to learn alongside other peers so whilst those figures seem high if a disabled child can't get to school there'll be much larger costs for the taxpayer and councils um, if a child's unable to you know to get their their learning and education So maybe just for context, you can tell us a bit about your charity, Contacts, and what it does, and maybe some of the big issues that you're dealing with at the moment on this and, you know, and other issues. Yeah, so Contact is a UK-wide charity, and we provide um, information and advice on all sorts of issues that families with um, children with additional needs and disabilities might need. So we do a lot of advice on getting the right support in school. Our other big area is making sure that families get all their financial support, so disability, living allowance, universal credit, that sort of thing. And then we cover topics such as trying to get a diagnosis for your child and also sort of things like advice if you're, you know, need to get back to work and and need some advice on finding the right childcare locally. Out of all those issues, school transport is often one of the the top issues that my colleagues on our on contacts helpline give advice to perhaps i'll give you an idea of some of the issues that parents call us about on school transport so they sort of fall into three main themes Um, the first one is where um, a parent has been refused school transport because of uh, of eligibility and that's often where eligibility criteria has been incorrectly applied so a child's been refused free school transport because they live quite near to the school, but due to their disability and or health condition, they actually should be getting that transport um, for free. We've also heard from parents that have been refused a school transport because um, they're um, where their child's in mainstream school, and a local council has said we only offer free school transport for those that are at a special school or specialist provision. And then the other big area where we get calls about is on the suitability of the transport. So the law says that transport must be safe and it must be stress-free so a child can get to school you know, ready to learn. So what sometimes we hear we um, from parents that have been offered school transport that's not suitable for the child's needs. So for example, a child that needs a lot of supervision has been offered a bus pass to go on public transport and they really wouldn't be able to use that bus pass on public transport because of their condition. It would be very unsafe for them to do that. And the other area where we we often get calls about is for children that are under five that need to go to a specialist provision because there's nothing available locally and local councils often refuse school transport to those those children. So our job at Contact is to, to help families to understand their rights and how to challenge those decisions because often parents are dealing with lots of different things in their lives and they don't actually know what the you know, what the, their legal rights are. I mean, taking all those complaints together, is, is it the case from your point of view that councils who 
are legally obliged to, uh, to to help children get to a place of education. They're obviously facing this this rising demand, rising costs. They've got all these other things to pay for that they're perhaps trying to cut costs in ways that they shouldn't on this in, in this particular area. And that that is why your people calling your helpline are, are complaining about not being able to get the the transport that they they think they ought to be able to get. Yeah, well, at Contact, we're really, really sympathetic to councils that are facing huge pressures on their on their budgets, and we've we've seen that increase over the last you know few years. But obviously, where the law is very clear, councils must meet their legal obligations. So you know, I completely you know understand that you know particularly in, in very rural areas that the cost, school transport costs are going to be huge and and often you know obviously councils are providing transport for non-disabled children as well so we're very clear at contact that even though councils are you know facing extreme pressures they they must not cut school transport and they must follow the law where disabled children are concerned because disabled children often they have to travel further to to school in many cases because local provision isn't suitable for their needs so it's not like the parents have any choice but to have their children at schools that are often much further away so the transport costs are going to be much higher and if a council cuts their transport then that cost will transfer over to individual parents that already face a huge amount of extra costs. You know, you know, toys cost a lot more when you've got a disabled child. You know, you often have to travel to lots of different hospital appointments. So it's just simply would be unlawful to cut that transport. And if local councils did transfer those costs onto to individual families it's it it just would mount it would just put unnecessary extra pressure on families that are already facing a huge amount of challenges now the local government association which is the body which represents local councils have said that funding pressures rising demand and costs are pushing the home to school transport system to breaking point and their spokesman said to me that improving levels of mainstream inclusion will be crucial in addressing this, reducing the reliance on costly special schools and other settings. I mean, is that part of the answer from your your point of view, or is that is that easier said than done? Well, yes, I would certainly agree that making mainstream schools much more inclusive um, for disabled children. We've we've definitely seen mainstream schools have had lots of their budgets cut, so we've seen less and less specialist. Um, workers such as speech and language, um, occupational therapists, all those specialist teachers that go into school to help disabled children to to learn alongside their non-disabled peers in mainstream schools, that a lot of those specialist workers have just simply disappeared. And so it's become a lot harder for disabled children to go to their local mainstream school. So yes, definitely we need to see mainstream schools being much better supported so more disabled children can you know can go and learn alongside their non-disabled peers and that would mean that they wouldn't then have to travel long distances to a specialist provision we've seen 
The government's recently put out um, its SEND improvement plan um, that does recognise that there does need to be more specialist places and mainstream schools to be better able to support disabled children. They've committed substantial amounts of, of money to improve specialist places, but that's not going to happen overnight. That's, you know, that's long term. That's, you know, three, five years into the future. So in the short term, it's essential that parents know their rights. They know that they can come to charities like Contact for advice. And it's essential that government supports local councils to be able to meet the needs of of children locally. Because, you know, when children go into crisis, it's going to cost council a lot more money in things like residential school places for example. Una Summerson from Contact the Charity thank you so much. Thank you. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Now, it was a painful set of local election results for Rishi Sunak and the Conservatives earlier this month, as their poor performance at the ballot box was even worse than party bosses had predicted as they tried to manage expectations before May the 4th. There was also some disappointing losses in some of the northern areas they'll be hoping to keep hold of at the next general election, like Middlesbrough and Darlington, but the exception is Stockton-on-Tees, a borough council taking in parts of County Durham, north of the River Tees, and parts of the old North Yorkshire to the south, where the Tories defied expectations to dramatically increase their presence on the local council. I wanted to get a sense of what's going on in Stockton and wider in Teesside. So let's talk now to one of the borough's two MPs, Matt Vickers, Conservative MP for Stockton South, also Deputy Chairman of the Conservative Party. Uh, Matt, welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be aboard. I'm intrigued. Why is it that the Conservatives made gains in Stockton, but not elsewhere in Teesside? Your your result was a bit of a a sort of an anomaly in that sense, wasn't it? I I think it was twofold. So we increased our share of the vote. We went, well, we we got from, I think we were about 32, we got up to 41% of the vote. Uh, Labour down there on 35% of the vote. So across the borough, people were voting Conservative. Uh, we increased the number of seats. We're now the biggest seat on the council. And in both of those metrics, uh, we've still got a seat to go because, unfortunately, uh, a candidate who was standing in Hartburn Ward, which is a three-seat award, which usually comes home for the Conservatives, uh, died, which meant that that election's been put back. So, actually, the end result could be even stronger in that we could have an even bigger number of the councillors uh, going from 14 to what could be 26 in the end. 
Um, so positive movement for us. Um, and I think it was twofold, the reasons for that. I think one of them was about, was about the local authority. People rightly voted on the record of what is a Labour. Our council has been dominated by Labour for years, usually propped or often propped up by localised independent groups in Thornaby and Ingrid Barrick. Um, but largely, it's their record and people are not happy with it. Whether that, well, council tax in Stockton has gone up 38% since 2016. And people aren't seeing value for money. They've seen the fact that the, the local authority employs more people on £100,000 plus wages than other local authorities in Teesside and Durham. They've seen the fact that the authority was employing two managing directors at the same time. They've seen the fact that the council flies people out to Montpellier, to Copenhagen, to various places across the globe to scout shows for its Riverside Festival. They've seen the waste. They're not happy with it. Uh, we held them to account on that. Actually, what people were telling me on the doorsteps is they didn't see value for money from the council. They wanted to see more street wardens on our streets. They wanted to see a few less potholes. Uh, and they thought it was time for a change in Stockton in terms of what they were getting for their council tax and from that local authority. But actually, I think the wider piece was about what they're seeing delivered across the Tees Valley and particularly in Stockton from government, um, whether that be the town deal that we've just sealed in Thornaby that's going to put that new skills hub in Thornaby so youngsters can get access to great vocational training uh, and then go on to get great book, well, great jobs as a result. Um, they've seen interventions in housing. They've seen changes to the town centre. They've seen that new swimming pool. We've seen in Eagles Cliff, we're upgrading the train station, something people have been on about for years. We're starting the town hall out in Yarm. We've got a new diagnostic. We're delivering. The government is delivering level up, levelling up in Stockton uh, in all sorts of platforms. And, and, and it, it's visible. It's tangible. I'll take you on the levelling up tour of Stockton at some point. I would like to, I would like to do that. Now, Matt, I, I, I imagine if Labour were here, they might possibly take issue with some of what you've said. But we're recording this on a Thursday afternoon. And last night on Wednesday night, Labour, it would appear, actually retained their control, despite the, the arguments you've been making of Stockton Council, thanks to the support of independent councillors. Uh, I think they got 29 votes for uh, Labour to retain the leadership versus 21 for the Conservatives. So the gains you've been talking about obviously weren't quite enough for the Conservatives to fully kick Labour out of power. And I know one of the issues is that of the 23 Conservative councillors who were elected on May the 4th, one of them, Shaquille Hussein, isn't sitting as a Tory councillor. He's under investigation because of old Facebook posts, which seem to refer to Israel and Zionist murderers, things like that. What What's the current situation with that? And do, I mean, do you regret that this councillor was allowed to stand as a Conservative in the first place? Is that Should, should that have happened? So I think what's happened, so, what, so this individual uh, stood as a Conservative in the election, um, had previously stood for Labour, and I understand that there was some posts from Facebook or Twitter, which are quite historic, and actually date from before he stood as a Labour candidate twice, and um, before he stood as a Conservative. I don't know the ins and outs of the posts. Um, I don't know about some of those question marks around the authenticity of them. There is question marks around what is and isn't said in them and the content of them. So I think the best way forwards is exactly what's happening, is having an independent investigation where somebody's going to look at the content, uh, hear, from, hear from him and hear from what's gone on, uh, check the authenticity of the post, check what is said and where it is, uh, and have a proper look at it in a way that you know doesn't happen generally on Twitter, uh, and I think that's the best way forward. Given all that and the fact that councillors have voted to keep Labour in, I mean, do, do you think there's any prospect of, you talked about getting three new councillors in, in this extra 
by-election that's coming up later in the month, if you do get all three of those, would that trigger the Stockton Conservatives to have another go at trying for the leadership, or is it, or is it, is, has that ship ship sailed now? It, it potentially could. I, I don't know whether that will be the case. But where we will get to is we will have had twenty six. If if I'm not taking it for granted, I'll be out there knocking on the doors. Uh, despite my foot injury, which I picked up on the campaign trail, I'll be out knocking on doors at the weekend, seeing what people have to say in Hartburn, which was a, a seat I represented on the council previously. Uh, and I, I think there's every chance that we could come back with having elected 26 councillors. Labour only elected 22. Um, I think there are lots of question marks around the, the independence of some of these independent groups. Um, I know that the group that were in Ingleby Barwick, uh, they went, well, they, were, they weren't very happy when they were accused of being called Labour in disguise some time ago. But their voting record of the years shows that they gen, well, I don't know if I've found any examples of them not voting with Labour on anything at the council in recent years. Um, Labour knew they couldn't get elected there. Uh, and some people would argue that those people stand as proxies for Labour uh, and that people buy into them because they think they're local and independent and that this move uh, indicates they're they're less than independent. So that remains to be seen. Um, I think we've made huge progress. I think we're in a better position to hold the council to account and to scrutinise the activity of our Labour-led council. Um, and I have every hope that if we can't do it this time, we might do it next time. But either way, we've got 26 good local champions uh, in council wards across Stockton who are going to deliver for local people. And more importantly, or as equally as importantly, they'll be working with me and Ben Hoochin on all of the money that we're getting from central government and making sure we can make that go as far as possible. In recent years, we've seen issues with the way that council have, have managed pro projects. You know, we've got the Globe, fantastic facility in Stockton High Street. But it was meant to open in 2012. It was meant to cost four million in the original plan. It ended up costing 30 million, not open until 2090. We need good active councillors who will hold the council officers to account, scrutinise that, and make sure that we deliver value for money uh, and that we we are akin to the the aims, objectives, and ambitions of our local residents. Now you mentioned Ben Houchin, and so let's let's widen the scope uh, a little bit to, to Teesside as a whole. So probably the biggest political story at the moment in your part of the world, the one that's getting the most attention anyway, is what's going on at Teesworks, this big regeneration project on the old steelworks at Redcar, which I'm sure is something your uh, constituents in Stockton South are very interested in and aware of. You'll, you'll know, of course, of the allegations of cronyism and even corruption that have been made in relation to how the site is run and the involvement of two local developers. That's now going to be investigated it emerged this week teesworks is obviously the uk's biggest freeport so obviously the government has a lot riding on its success and with that being the case regardless of the you know the rights and wrongs of the accusations themselves is it right that michael gove the leveling up secretary can appoint the panel who investigates this matter and not leave it to a, an independent sort of watchdog body like the National Audit Office, because that, that's that, that's the concern that's been been raised. So I think you've got to actually look at the thing in the round uh, to, to get the sort of full concept. The reality is there were huge liabilities on that site. The site was costing £20 million a year. That's where we were. Uh, the site was valued at minus £482, costing a pound a second to the, public, to the taxpayer. It was owned by three Thai banks. We got to a situation where we brought it forward. It was always reliant on private money to be able to develop something. Uh, given the scale of the liabilities and the costs involved. But actually, that original agreement, so we're going to do it all again because there's been lots of mudslinging going on, but that original agreement was was signed up to, approved, 
by the Tees Valley Combined Authority Cabinet, which includes the leaders of all the local councils, including that Labour leader from Stockton. It was, you know, agreed there. It was, it was overseen by the uh, South Tees Development Corporation Board. It had business, uh, the Business Energy Innovation Skills Department there, the MHCLG Department and the Treasury all approved that agreement when it was put in place. And actually what we've seen is £246 million of public money going to this site. But bigger than that, we've seen £2 billion of private sector investment. I think what should happen, if I had concerns about a site like that, if I felt I had any evidence that there was any corruption going on, I would be taking that up with the authorities. I would not be using parliamentary privilege to throw mud at something, which is what Andy McDonald's done. He's gone. He, he will not repeat what he says in the chamber, outside the chamber, where he can be you know, held up to the laws of the land. He says it in there, uh, slings mud. Everything we do on Teesside gets mud thrown at it. When it was the airport, it was questioned, it was grilled, it was... You know, some of the things that said about the airport and the deal that was going on there were terrible. Now we've gone into the free port of actually creating negative headlines from what is a massive opportunity for my part of the world. 20,000 incredible uh, green energy, future jobs of the future that mean local people from my part of the world can go out there. Youngsters can take on these wonderful opportunities that were not available to them. Uh, in the past. And I think it's a really good thing. I think we have legitimate questions that are always asked. That's why we have the Combined Authority uh, Cabinet. That's why we have the all these bodies scrutinising it. That's why all these government departments looked at the deal in the first place. There is no evidence of any wrongdoing. I think there's a big difference between legitimate criticism about the way things are going. You can scrutinise and you should ask questions. And that's our job uh, as, as elected representatives. But the idea of people just throwing allegations of criminality, of impropriety, throwing them around in a chamber under cover of parliamentary privilege, I think is wrong. It's true to say, certainly, that a lot of the mudslinging, to put it in that way, has come from Labour politicians. But it's not it's not just Labour people. I mean, what's triggered a lot of the headlines this week has been uh, an article by the Financial Times, which I think is no one's idea of a, a Labour publication. And I know Steve Gibson, who's the owner of Middlesbrough, Football club has raised concerns as well, but so with all that being the case, with the party political, undeniably party political nature of it, should it not be the National Audit Office who investigates rather than a panel appointed by the Conservative Leveling Up Secretary? The National Audit Office have already been in there, haven't they? They conducted a review of the deal at the outset and said all the public money therein had been used correctly. Um, so I, I think. You know, we can, do, we can do lots of inquiries, as we have on lots of issues, um, but it's all there. Everything's there. Everything is, is visible and is published. And actually, as an MP, I could rock down to the combined authority and ask any questions I want. Andy McDonald could do exactly the same, but he chooses to try and grab media attention and splat things all over Twitter. And I, I just think that's counterproductive. But they, they, they bit the hate, the success, I think, is part of the problem. Ben has done fantastic and incredible things for our part of the world a site that was owned by Thai banks that was costing the taxpayer £20 million a year uh, is now creating thousands and thousands and thousands of jobs. And the bit that I am keen to publish to publicise is not only the Freeport status benefiting us at the Teesworks sites with 20,000 jobs, the new uh, airport business park in my part of the world, which is on my doorstep and going to benefit my local youngsters, is also in there with Freeport status and is going to create 4,000 jobs. Uh, in the very near future. And they're going to be great jobs that local youngsters can benefit from. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders 
no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Let's move on to a different topic now, which is in the news this morning. We're obviously recording this on Thursday and is a a big one, I know, in your part of the world. Immigration of of all types. I know your neighbouring MP, Simon Clark, has said that migration and illegal immigration particularly is one of the topics that gets raised most on the doorstep and particularly the small boats, which we hear about so much. And what do you think, with that being the case, what do you think your constituents are going to make today of the fact that net migration is now at a a record high, 600,000 net migration in 2022, I think is the figure out today. And there's a big and growing backlog of asylum claims to deal with. Obviously, there have been years of, of promises by various government to cut migration, but it, it's it's not happening. And there was a, a quote actually by Martin Vickers, I don't think it's any relation to you, a Tory MP for Cleethorpes, who said, the anger and frustration of my constituents has been focused on illegal migration up until now, but that anger and frustration will grow when they consider these legal migration figures. I mean, is, is that how your constituents are going to feel as well, do you think? Good old Uncle Martin. We get each other's post all the time. No, he's not related to me. We, um, I think, I, you know how they tell politicians to answer the question they wish they had. I'm going to go back because I want to speak about mayoral development corporations, but I'll answer this question now. Um, I think that it is. it adds to the, the problem. I think the big problem is around illegal migration. That is the issue that people are bringing up on the doorsteps. They're concerned about the fact that criminal gangs are able to smuggle people into the country and we have so little control over who is and isn't coming out. I'm, I'm right on board with everything the government's doing on that, whether that be the deal with Albania to send Albanians straight back, whether that be the Rwanda deal, that means if you turn up in this country illegally, well, the, the new bill that's going through that means if you turn up in this country illegally, you will be detained and you will be returned. And I think that is the way forwards. We've seen from the opposition who voted against everything we've ever done to toughen up our immigration system, uh, that they have a very different view. We've seen from the fact that there are many on the other side who are campaigning against the deportation of foreign criminals, which seems alien to me and seems alien to many of the people that I represent. Um, I think the numbers today are... Yeah, they're concerning. But actually, when we put it in the scheme of things, there was people yesterday who were suggesting it could be as many as a million. Actually, we were at 606,000, which is 100,000 up from the last time it was measured. In that year, we've brought 114,000 Ukrainians uh, to this country, rightly, in my view, and rightly in the view of many people I represent, uh, 114, which match, you know, is the difference. But more than that, I think the government is committed to trying to drive down uh, net migration. Um particularly illegal immigration, which I I would agree with Simon, is huge on the doorsteps and is huge in the conscience of people I represent. Um, We're getting on with that job. This week we've announced the changes to uh, student-dependent visas, um, an issue that's exploded in recent years. We went from 16,000 dependents coming with students to 136,000. The measures that the government have announced this year should take that down by 100,000. So everything that we are doing looks like it will take us in the right direction in the very near future, and I'm right behind the government in trying to deliver it. Wasn't wasn't Brexit supposed to make it easier to bring migration down and, and sort of put controls on it? Why it doesn't seem that it's that's the case so far. I mean, is that it, why would you why do you think that is? I think do you know what there's there's several issues there. I think what Brexit did was put us in charge of the situation, so we can actually 
you know, if we secure these borders uh, by, by doing what we're going to do in the channel to stop the boats, which is the, the number one priority, if we can control who is coming across that border, then we have decisions to make. And already we've put in place that point system that means we can assess based on the needs of our economy. If people want to come to this country and they're in a position to contribute to our economy, then we will make the decisions about who can and can't come and what that value add is to our country. And that's entirely right by me, because I think in the EU, we discriminated against people from outside of the EU. Um, because actually, we, were, we weren't making any choices. We were just taking anybody from the EU. Now we will make that choice. And someone from, you know, the greatest scientists, engineers, doctors from India will have as much chance as those people from Germany. And that is the right thing to do. We'll, we'll base it we won't discriminate, we'll base it on people's ability to contribute rather than where they came from. And I think that's the right thing to do. You mentioned before you wanted to talk about mayoral development corporations. Obviously, obviously there's one in, well, there's going to be three now, aren't there, in, in Teesside. One already at the uh, at the Freeport at Redcar, and then there's two more coming on stream in Middlesbrough and Hartlepool. And that in some respects, again, they've been quite controversial, haven't they? Labour opposed the uh, mayoral development corporation, which is a a new body that basically takes over the regeneration of a particular area and take, brings on new powers to uh, sort of push push things through more quickly. Is it a good thing from your point of view? Is that, is that, is that going to help get Teesside to where it needs to be? For years and years, we've seen a lack of regeneration in some parts of Stockton. This is a vehicle to drive that it comes with with Finance, well, with money attached, there was £18 million going into Middlesbrough when those Labour councillors decided to vote that mayoral development corporation down. I think one of the big problems we've got, you know, one of the reasons that it's so frustrating, actually, that Labour will carry uh, the helm in Stockton is that we don't even get round the table on some of these issues. So as an MP, I think that it is, it is on all of us, whether you're the mayor, whether you're a councillor, whether you're an MP, uh, to work cross-party with other partners to try and deliver for our community. So as, a, as an MP, I write out to all of the councillors of all parties and non, invite them to speak with me, meet with me about the issues affecting them in their area. And that's been taken up by lots of councillors from, I've sat down with Labour councillors, sat down with Liberal Democrats, I've sat down with real independents. Uh, there's a few of these independent groups that, that just aren't into that, like the Ingleby Barrett crowd, who just will not engage, will not have any sort of discussion. But actually that affects the council as a council with a Labour leader. Uh, we haven't even had the discussion about a mayoral development corporation in Stockton because our Labour leaders lobbied against, uh, you know, even an enterprise zone, which would allow us to keep some of the business rate revenues that were generated, would allow us to to take a more ambitious approach with some of the planning that could mean we could develop our site quicker, uh, attract some extra, you know, private sector investment and create some great jobs. We can't even get to the table because people put party politics before the interests of local people. I find it deeply deeply frustrating and I think it's you know it's it's representative of what's gone on at Teesworks and in so many places in Teesside where for years we've been let down we finally got some uh, energy involved we've got some capital involved and we can do things uh, and the Labour Party locally seem to be doing everything they can to to hold that back. I know that the argument that's been raised against MDCs is that they are I think they've been described as a, a power grab haven't they uh, in that they hand the ability to control regeneration from uh, local councillors in, for example, Middlesbrough to a mayoral development corporation, which perhaps doesn't have the same level of scrutiny applied to it as a council. I mean, do you, do you buy that, that argument? There are representatives of the council on the mayoral development corporation. There is an avenue by which, but it's more nimble. It's got expertise. It can move faster. It's got capital. It can get things done. 
do you know what? Stockton Council has had 56 councils on it for years. It doesn't get very far on many of the projects. And what we see, because it's it's such a big, unwieldy body, is we see projects like the Globe that go over by, what, £26 million over budget and, you know, a decade down the line, we still wait for it to open. I think actually this body would have the expertise, would be nimble enough, would be active enough to deliver, and it comes with the capital to make the difference. So I think, you know, Whatever arguments, I'm sure that the Labour Party would find an argument against everything. They found the arguments against the, the, the airport, they find them against the Freeport, they find them against the Mayoral Development Corporation. Actually, want to get on, get things done, create those jobs that Ben is managing to create in Teesside, and more power to his elbow, from my perspective. So if you, if, if the Conservatives were in power in Stockton, you'd be pushing for a, a Mayoral Development Corporation in, in, in the borough, would you? What we would definitely be doing that the Labour Party aren't doing is we will be getting around the table, we'll be having those conversations and seeing what's in it for us. And at the moment, there is a bit of a roadblock there. Uh, if those independent groups weren't propping up Labour, then we'd be getting on, we'd have that conversation. I've already got agreements from ministers that they will be happy to get around the table and see what could be done in Stockton to drive more jobs, more investment and more opportunities for people in my part of the world. Now, the final question, Matt, your seat isn't a classic red wall, so-called seat, in that it's gone between Labour and the Conservatives in recent years before you uh, took it in 2019. But you've got a 5,000 vote majority to defend at the next election. And I think the accepted wisdom at the last general election is that what won the Conservative seats across the North was a combination of Boris Johnson, Jeremy Corbyn and Brexit. Now, two of those factors aren't in play anymore. I guess the third one is, is, is for some people, a matter of dispute. What, what, what does that, when you're trying to win back the confidence of those Stocks and South voters, what does that leave you with in terms of what arguments you're putting forward for why they should go back to the Conservatives again next year? So every day when I wake up in this job with this fantastic opportunity that's been given to me to, to make a difference, I tend to try, to try to not think about what I'm doing to get votes, but try to think about what I'm using the time to deliver. And I actually think the two probably come hand in hand. And if we can deliver that levelling up, if we can create more opportunities in my part of the world, then that is exactly what will decide where people vote and how they vote, in my view. Uh, and that's what we've gone with. I think there's huge differences in Stockton now uh, that have been delivered and are being delivered. Uh, we talked about the town deal in Thornaby and the difference that's making, um, whether that be that new skills hub that's going to create opportunities for youngsters, whether it be the changes to housing in North Thornaby, whether it be their new cycle lanes, um, the new swimming pool that's come in. We're getting rid of... Have you been to Thornaby? Wonderful place. I, um, I, I, it's on my list. It's on my it's list on your of places. List, right. I'll, I'll take you. I'll show you what we're doing there. But we've got what has been an empty office building for about a decade in the town centre is now becoming a local swimming pool because that's what people told me wanted on the survey. We've got a horrible building called the Golden Eagle that's been there for a way too long. It was built in, in yesteryear and is a, is a knackered old hotel. And they, we've got the money now to be able to get, get rid of it, sort it out, replace it. My Labour Council's dragging its heels a little bit uh, in taking legal action against the owner and getting the thing under route. So that's probably the biggest frustration, actually, about the council, uh, in that if we'd had a Conservative leadership in the council, we might have been able to deal with that quicker. We've got a levelling up, up bid of 20 million that's gone in, that's sorting out the town hall in Yarm, another beautiful part of my constituency. Um, we've got things going on at Preston Park. You must have been at Preston Park. Everyone's yes. been at Preston Park. Yes, I yeah. have. So Preston Park, we've got that knackered Avery that looks dreadful. Uh, we were also going to use that money to celebrate our railway heritage, which is much, much uh, undervalued uh, by many people in Stockton. But we were the home of the first public passenger railway. And with this money, we're going to put a tribute to that. We're going to celebrate the fact and make sure that when people come to Stockton, they know all about that. Uh, we've got our new diagnostic hospital going in Stockton Town Centre. 104,000 people every year 
are going to be able to go in there and get life-saving test checks and scans. Uh, this is like unprecedented in terms of in decades, we've never had this investment in our part of the world. Um, and we've got it now. But that all comes on the back. Of, oh, we've got future high streets funding going into Stockton. We've got we've got Eaglescliff Station getting upgraded, something people have campaigned about for decades, uh, as well as more police in our streets, as well as more doctors and nurses in our hospital, as well as those fantastic job opportunities at the Freeport and those treasury jobs that are coming to Darlington that means local youngsters in my part of the world who used to have to move to London to become senior civil servants and take on some of these incredible jobs. Actually, they can just get on a bus and go to Darlington. It's fantastic. With the various uh, funds that you, you, you're talking about, you know, the Future High Street, the Towns Fund, the Leveling Up Fund, there's a school of thought that those type, the, the, the types of projects that those funds pay for are the, are the kind of things that pre-austerity local councils like Stockton could have paid for themselves. But now they have 50%, like 30% of the, of the resources that they have, that they used to have. And so the, the, the government is really... Is, is getting local councils to bid against each other for these relatively small pots of money, although I realise in you know for local areas they're that they're big, and then taking credit for the things that councils used to be able to do themselves when they had when they had more money. So is is that is that a fair criticism in your view? No, I don't think so. I don't. Well, it's not happened in Teesside. We have been dominated by Labour for decades. That money was not being put to best use. Uh, as we found out in the local elections, people aren't happy with the way that my local authority is spending the money it has, whether that be all those £100,000-plus wages that we, we out to the rest of the region on, whether that be flying people out to wherever, whether that whatever it might be. The council has not been efficient, has not been uh, spending it in the way that we'd like to see. This is an opportunity that's knocked. And actually, you might say these are small things, that town hall in Yarm is going to look fantastic and it's been needing it for a fair old while. That rotten aviary at Preston Park has been like that for donkey's years. It's going to make a massive difference. Uh, and actually, the Freeport status and the jobs that that is going to create are game-changing for my part of the world. These aren't just jobs. These are great jobs, uh, jobs of the future. In green energy, they can get the jobs down at sea. That are well, you know, like these are, these are, we put Teesside on the map uh, and we're giving it the infrastructure uh, and the, the the life quality that it needs to deliver. If, if you, you know, London's had its time, Teesside's where it's at, the future is bright in Teesside. Well, I think that is an argument and a, uh, an assertion we're going to be hearing quite a lot of in the next uh, 12 months or so in the run-up to the election. So, uh, Matt Vickers, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Northern Agenda podcast. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk It's more important than ever for Northern voices to be heard. The Northern Agenda is a laudable production for Reach. It's presented by me, Rob Parsons, and it's produced by Daniel J. McCoughlin. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to The Northern Agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. Also, check out the other laudable podcasts. See you next week. Bye-bye.